you know, you can take immense pride in the product you can produce. You know, you've added value, you've created something. You can say, you know, I have made this and, you know, have that association. And there's something, I just don't know what it is. There's just something very rewarding. And, you know, I meet people socially and, you know, I think they're so refreshed that I'm just not a lawyer or a banker or an estate agent. (laughs) Like actually, you know, when you say, you know, I smoke salmon, everyone wants to talk about it. You know, everyone's interested. This is Fishtails, a seafood podcast. I'm John Sussman. Smoke is a funny thing. It is a collection of airborne particulates and gases emitted when a material undergoes combustion. It is commonly an unwanted byproduct of fires, causing annoyance, distraction, and sometimes pain. When used as a means to flavour food, it takes on a completely different persona. The idea of smoking salmon was originally brought to London by the Jewish immigrants in the 19th century. London's East End became home to to a large salmon smoking industry. Whilst there were many smokeries across the East End of London 100 years ago, H. Foreman and Son is now the last remaining one. H. Foreman and Son is the quintessential example of a craft-based luxury food producer. From their smokery located in the aptly named Fish Island district of East London, Lance Foreman continues the family tradition of producing premium smoked salmon. So H. Foreman was started by my great-grandfather, who was known as Harry Foreman, although his real name was Aaron. And um, he founded our business back in 1905. And uh, we certainly weren't the first at the time, but we are now the last remaining of those original salmon smokers uh, from East London. And... um, For the last 10 to 15 years or so, I've been claiming that we are the world's oldest producer of smoked salmon. And nobody has said to me, no, you're not, Mr. Foreman. So it must be true. Uh, We are now the world's oldest producer of smoked salmon. In the early days, the East London smokers imported salmon from the Baltic, not realising that wild salmon was available from Scotland each summer. Having discovered the Scottish fish at Billingsgate Market, they realised it would be easier to use the native fish and the taste of the finished product was considered superior. Historically, Scottish wild salmon was sent to Billingsgate Market from at least the 19th century onwards. Scottish salmon had a worldwide reputation for excellence. The smokers of the East End identified with this and developed a smoking process which allowed for the unique flavour and texture of this amazing fish to shine. The London Cure was born. The light cure and smoke applied to the London Cure is unique because it cures and smokes the fish to preserve it without leaving a heavily smoked flavour. From its origins, the beauty of the London Cure smoked salmon was that it enabled fish to be preserved whilst showcasing the flavour and texture. Our smoked salmon um, is quite different to most of what is available in the sort of mass market and uh, supermarkets. And the the nature of smoked salmon has changed over the last 25 years or so. And I would say, actually, that smoked salmon was Britain's first ever homegrown gourmet food. And it all started um, as a marriage between the Scottish salmon and the, the East London or the London Cure uh, method of preserving that salmon. So my great granddad arrived in the UK from Odessa. He was a Russian Jewish emigrant um, fleeing the pogroms of uh, Eastern Europe. And he he settled in the East End of London at the same time as there there was a huge wave of Jewish uh, immigration into the UK at the turn of the 20th century. And um, 
for him and others like him, the, the smoking of salmon was, it was never a gourmet food back then. It was just a way of preserving fish because refrigeration was, you know, very basic and almost non-existent. And so um, they were, you know, it was a technique they were familiar with, you know, um, brining or salting the fish and then smoking it. And that's how you'd preserve it. And it was only after they'd settled here and they went to the fish market at Billingsgate and they saw these amazing wild salmon coming down from Scotland uh, every summer, the king of fish, wild salmon. And um, they started smoking the local fish, um, this, you know, the native uh, Scottish salmon. And the product was incredible. And they thought, wow, this is amazing. Maybe other people will be interested in eating this wonderful, uh, this wonderful food. And so they started hawking it around to sort of famous um, hotels like the Savoy and famous food stores like Harrods and Selfridges and and people fell in love with this new product. And smoked salmon was born as, as I say, um, I would say Britain's first ever homegrown gourmet food. And the reason I say that is because if you look at other gourmet foods around that time, foie gras, truffles, caviar and so on, they were being imported into the UK. But smoked salmon all started here. And a lot of people think that it's an ancient Scottish tradition. And the Scots did have a history of smoking fish, but not really salmon as a gourmet food. If you look at other sort of traditional Scottish smoked food, things like kippers and Arbroath smokies, they tend to be very, very smoky. If you were a chef putting on an important five-course banquet, you'd never start the meal with a kipper because you're going to taste it after the chocolate pudding five courses later. And, and um, what they loved about what, again, what we refer to as London Cure Smoked Salmon was that it was very delicate. It was, you know, it was all about preserving the taste of the salmon. And the smoke was not there as a flavouring. It was a method of preserving the fish. And, and, and that's really what has changed today. Nowadays, you know, I can, I can talk for hours about this, but nowadays, um, you know, so much smoked salmon is, is just about this heavy, smoky flavour uh, and the salmon. And, you know, if, if you, you know, if you have a beautiful piece of fish, why would you want it to taste like an ashtray? You want to taste that fish. Um, and, um, you know, say and it's, you know, the, the product has been devalued by mass production. It's all about avoiding the weight loss, which you should have in traditional curing. You know, that's how you preserve food, by drawing the moisture out of it but if, you, if you're selling you know, if you can sell water for the price of salmon that's good business but it's bad for the salmon and the salmon doesn't taste great and we, we meet a lot of younger consumers nowadays that weren't familiar with smoked salmon and how it used to be and and they're actually put off by it they say oh i don't like the texture it's very slimy and you know i don't like the taste you know i you know i need sort of 20 peppermint chewing gums to get rid of the taste of the smoke even three hours later and that is not how smoked salmon used to be and london cure smoked salmon is is the method we have today is exactly the same as the method we were doing you know 116 years ago tradition is the transmission of customs from generation to generation building a food business based on tradition can have its limitations but when tradition delivers excellence not only is there no reason to change it but more importantly protect it the skill of salmon smoking and slicing has long been established in the East End of London, and these artisanal skills have been handed down through many generations. Foreman adhere to the traditional approach to create London Cure Smoked Salmon, retaining all the traditional skills associated with salmon smoking, and believe in maintaining artisan skills before they are lost for good. Well, the first memories, um, I, I guess, relate to smell. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, my, my dad, uh, my dad would come home from work, and uh, and you know, there would just be that constant, sort of lingering, um, sort of smoky smell. And uh, my mum used to have a separate wardrobe for his uh, his smoked salmon clothes, and but every everything just had that sort of taint to it. You know, his overcoat, the car, you know, it would just get on the seat, and it was very hard to get rid of it. And in fact, uh, it was quite funny because uh, soon after, uh, soon after I decided to join the business, because I had about 10, 12 years doing other things first. But soon after I joined the business, um, within a few days, I'm lying in bed and uh, my wife says to me, you know what, I can smell that smell that your your dad, uh, you know, that sort of, that smoky smell. And I said, no, it's impossible. I've showered, I've washed my hair, you know, there's absolutely no way. And she's like sniffing and sniffing around. It it was on my glasses. I mean, it's just... uh, and and it's you know it's, it is quite a sticky smell, but but of course in our in our new sort of uh, newfangled uh, factories nowadays we have very good um, airflow and uh, and so on, so we don't have any uh, smells in the offices and and so on. Although I can't smell it. whenever visitors come here, they go, oh I love that smell of the uh, the smoke, but I just I just don't notice it anymore. I've spent well. I've spent probably twenty to twenty-five years since I joined our family business. Spent most of my time trying to re-educate the public about smoked salmon, so they actually learn to love what you know what was once this amazing food. And you know, I often again I see younger people sort of put a little slice in their mouth, and you can see their sort of face grimace. And it shouldn't. If you know, it was you know, you should be thinking when you put a slice in your mouth, wow, that is absolutely delicious. I want the next slice, please. And they've been put off by the. Sort of the mass production type product, and um, and I just thought we need to re-educate them. And how can we do this? And I tell the story as I'm telling you today. But one of one of the opportunities that I thought was you know quite important was to apply for special um, uh, a special status, PGI protected geographical indication status, which is the same status that Champagne has and Parma ham, Gorgonzola cheese. And we put in this application. It was an EU um, uh, accreditation and it took us four years to do all the documentation and get through all the bureaucracy of the the application and in 2016 we were awarded this special status it was it became london cure smoked salmon became the first ever london-based food or indeed drink to have this special status and indeed no other london-based food or drink has had it since so it was a really proud moment for us uh, to have this and we didn't do it because we were looking for the eu's protection we did it purely as a sort of marketing um efforts to, to help you know re-educate uh, the public about how smoked salmon ought to be because you know 90 percent of it now maybe more 99 percent of it is um you know is this mass production product which supermarkets love you know it is now smoked salmon has become the most heavily promoted food by supermarkets particularly at christmas time because it still has this air of luxury but it can be produced very very cheaply uh, and in our view that sort of put people off this this uh, once great product of course I was accused of mass hypocrisy um, for applying for this uh, EU status and and indeed uh, achieving it uh, because um, there we were getting this EU award. But actually, um, I was very much involved in the Brexit campaign and in fact became an MEP, a member of the European Parliament for the Brexit party. And there we were getting an EU award. So um, life can be a bit confusing at times. (laughs) Um, but, uh, But there we go. Indeed, the application took so long. 
So the, the, I was going to say, the application took so long, um, you know, it, we, the, we started the process before we even knew there was ever going to be a referendum on the EU. So, um, you know, but that's, that's life. The importance of premium quality fish as the base for beautiful smoked salmon is an imperative. Whilst wild Scottish salmon has become rare, foremen seek it out during the short season when it is available. They are determined about the quality of the farmed fish they use, demanding provenance, history and freshness as non-negotiable. Again, when I started in the business all those years ago, and I used to come in uh, during my school holidays and in those summer months, which was the height of the wild salmon season, you know, it was very excited to sort of crack open those huge wooden crates of beautiful wild salmon packed in ice, um, uh, which we used to freeze down because they were only available for two or three months of the year. We used to freeze them down so that we had a stock for smoking all year round because, of course, smoked salmon was always a very big Christmas food. Not because there was any particular religious, uh, um, you know, connection, but basically at Christmas time, people, you know, th th they lay on these special feasts and they want the best that's available. And smoked salmon was considered, you know, to be, you know, you know, one of the finest uh, foods you could offer your guests. So uh, smoked salmon was all beca always became Christmassy, and and, it, and what you know, it was always an expensive luxury. And, and wild smoked salmon still is today. It's still. It's extraordinarily expensive because there are so few people catching it. Indeed, in the UK now, there is literally one person left, one commercial fisherman left with a license to catch uh, wild salmon on, on the River Tweed. In terms of our farm salmon, uh, we use Scottish salmon. And the reason we use Scottish salmon as opposed to Norwegian salmon, and they're the same. I mean, the, the, the animal is the same. They're farmed in the same way. Yes, the Scots tend to farm in probably faster flowing waters in the North Sea and the Shetlands, whereas the Norwegians tend to be in these sort of lakes, you know, in the fjords and so on. Possibly, uh, you know, the, the fish might get a bit fattier. Um, but that's, that's, person, that's not a question of quality. That's just a question of personal taste. But the reason we use exclusively Scottish salmon rather than Norwegian is because we can get the fish within literally 24 to 48 hours of the fish coming out of water. Almost, almost three quarters, two thirds to three quarters of salmon sold in the UK come from Norway. Uh, which might seem odd to, to you guys down there because, you know, we're in you know, we're in the UK. Why not use Scottish salmon? But the Norwegian industry is the biggest in the world. It's about eight times larger than the Scottish industry, which means that they have economies of scale and the fish are always 10 to 15 percent cheaper than Scottish salmon. And indeed, the Scots will price their salmon according to the Norwegian price. So whatever the Norwegian price happens to be in global markets, they will always add a premium of, say, 10 to 15 percent. So you will find that a lot of producers here will buy the cheaper fish, the Norwegian fish. Indeed, some of the Scottish salmon smokers will buy Norwegian salmon, smoke it in Scotland and call it Scottish smoked salmon as opposed to smoked Scottish salmon. But um, the reason we don't touch Norwegian salmon is that it takes four days just for the fish to arrive. Now, if a fish has a shelf life of one week, um, let's say, a good shelf life of one week, and you've lost four days of that, you've lost the, the freshest four days of that, you know, why bother? Um, and especially if you're giving this light cure because you, you know, you want to, you know, you want to preserve the taste of the salmon rather than conceal it with smoke. You really want the freshest fish. And, and freshness is absolutely the most, you know, the most important criteria when you're talking about fish, you know, when you're, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're eating it raw for sashimi or sushi or you're cooking it or curing it, you know, freshness is, is everything. And, and indeed, sometimes, 
I, I laugh when, you know, when I read the marketing blurbs that people put on the backs of their packets of smoked salmon. It just does make me laugh. I've sometimes I've read things like, you know, after we smoke our salmon, we leave it to mature for three days before we carve it. OK, fish does not mature. It just goes off. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not meat. It's not cheese. It's not wine. It does not improve with age at all. Fish goes off and you really want to get it through the system as quickly as possible. And that doesn't matter whether to say whether you're smoking it or cooking it or just eating it raw. Freshness is absolutely crucial. So that's why we use Scottish salmon. Whilst the process of curing and smoking salmon is of itself an incredibly simple concept, the art of creating a truly delicious finished smoked salmon demands skill, commitment and dedication at every step of the process, with many of the tasks demanding a tactile innate understanding for the fish, the processes and the conditions. Producing great smoked fish is truly a unique art. Once we uh, are the salmon arrives with us and we get uh, deliveries in six days a week um, from, uh, from Scotland, um, we hand fillet the fish. Um, and again, that may seem obvious, but I would say probably 99% of salmon filleted nowadays is done by machine. And the problem with the machines is that they can't handle the fish when they're so fresh because when the fish are slaughtered, rigor mortis sets in, the fish go absolutely rigid. And when they're stiff like that, they can't be fed through the machines. They have to wait for a day or two till they sort of relax and go a bit floppy so you can sort of feed them through the machine so when you're handling the fish by hand you can actually work with much fresher fish so we have a really skilled team of um, filleters or blocksmen some people call them um, uh, that uh, hand prepare the fish um, we also also doing it by hand means you know if you've got good skilled people they can follow the shape of the bone with a knife and you get much less waste than you would do throwing it uh, through a machine the fillets then get put onto these sort of metal shelves. Um, they're slightly sloping. Um, and then we sprinkle them with salt, just salt, no other ingredients. And they will stay in salt for up to 24 hours. Obviously, the bigger the fish, the longer uh, time salting. And if you weigh those salmon fillets before they're salted and you weigh them after they're salted, they will lose somewhere between 5 to 10% of the weight. And that is the start of the preserving process. That is drawing out the moisture. Now, what a lot of the modern producers do um, is they add sugar at that stage. Uh, some of them don't dry salt the fish at all. They will, in, um, you know, they will brine the fish. And the reason they brine it is because you don't get the weight loss because the fish are saturated in water. Um, and some of the really modern mass producers don't even brine it. They inject the fish with salt water so they can pump up the weight and they sell you water uh, for the price of salmon. Um, but sugar is often added and, and it's added for a number of reasons. Um, one of the reasons is that when, when, well, when smoked salmon was first introduced into supermarkets, say 30 years ago, one, one of the risks that supermarkets had was that they had a relatively high value product with a relatively short shelf life. Now, that's risky because if you don't sell it in time, um, you're going to have a lot of expensive waste. So they tried to encourage the producers to increase the shelf life to reduce that risk. And the way you do that is by adding extra salt, but then it tastes too salty. So you put the sugar in to counterbalance the salty taste. Um, another reason sugar is added is because 
people add too much smoke um, and the smoke can often be there to conceal the fact that the fish isn't very fresh. You don't want people to taste the salmon, so you just smother it with smoke. But smoke in itself can be quite bitter. So again, sugar takes away the bitterness of the, the smoke. But the key thing, the key thing is that once you draw out that moisture, you then put the salmon into the kilns and before it, you smoke it, you air dry it further to remove more moisture you should in fact once that air drying and smoking process happens you lose another 10 percent of the weight and this is really the key thing about smoked salmon that i'm about to mention now because once that fish has been sufficiently dried it changes its nature instead of being this sort of wet slippery piece of fish it now becomes cured and the texture becomes tacky and once it's tacky and sort of sticky that is the point at which you want to release the smoke because the smoke smoke is like very fine dust particles and they latch themselves onto that sticky texture of the salmon and they create a seal and that is what the smoking was doing it was creating a seal so you could just hang that fish that side of smoked salmon in a cold larder and no bacteria could penetrate that outer crust it's called the pellicle and that was the protective seal um but before you then eat the salmon, the very first thing you do is you trim off that outer crust. You know, it's like peeling an apple or peeling an orange. You know, you trim off that outer crust to reveal this beautiful concentrated salmon flavor beneath. And, um, and, and, and so you remove all the, the sort of smoky flavoring. You just, you're left with literally just a hint, a remnant of this sort of smoky flavor, but it's all about the concentrated salmon flavor. But you lose another 10% of the weight by trimming off that crust. So what all the modern mass producers do nowadays is they debone the fish first, they slice straight through that crust, and you get that little brown chewy edge on every single slice because they're selling you the trimmings with the salmon, again, making it cheaper, but then it tastes smoky, and that's why they have to add sugar. And, you know, it's just, you know, the product has just been um, devalued. Inevitably, great quality food is recognised globally. The challenge for many artisan producers is being able to scale their business whilst maintaining quality. Building a global luxury food business with a product as fragile as smoked salmon requires patience and dedication. Most of what we're selling is, is actually in the London market. But yes, we have exported all over the world. Our, our biggest export market is the USA. Um, we've exported to Hong Kong for about 50 years. Um, we were doing quite a lot in Italy, but again, COVID sort of put the, put the, you know, the kibosh on that because we, we were supplying sort of hotels and restaurants and that just hasn't really been happening over the last 18 months. But of course, it will come back. Um, but literally every corner of the globe, we, ha we have indeed um, exported to Australia. Australia. Um, we, we, on just one or two occasions, uh, mind you, I, I think we supplied some smoked salmon into the Crown Casino in, in Melbourne. But, uh, you know, I'm very hopeful now that uh, Britain and Australia, are, you know, uh, have done this trade deal that uh, maybe may the opportunity for our, you know, London Cure smoked salmon to uh, land on people's plates in uh, Sydney or whatever will, uh, will uh, you know, um, will happen. And, and why not? You know, once, you know, when, when we do export, when we ship uh, by export, um, we, we normally ship by air freight. Um, again, we want the, the product to arrive very quickly. Um, and, uh, and the cost of air freight 
I know it's going to be a little bit more expensive to Australia, but uh, it's a relatively small part of the, the cost of the product. And, uh, you know, the biggest cost in transport is actually it's always the documentation, the loading and unloading. Whether you're flying, you know, a 16 hour flight or a 20 hour flight doesn't really make much difference to the cost. It'd be, uh, it'd be amazing if we could get uh, get our, our, our smoked salmon, our London cure back into, uh, into the Australian market. We'd love that. The beauty of truly great smoked salmon is that it requires very few accompaniments. Whilst there are many theories and myths about how to enjoy smoked salmon, like great caviar, less can be more in preparing and presenting smoked salmon. I mean, you know, there's nothing like just a, a lovely plate of smoked salmon. We, ha- we have a, or I say we have a restaurant. We had a restaurant which has been closed since the onset of COVID, but we used to serve it here with um, some nice little blinis, little sort of mini pancake, um, uh, little mini pancakes sort of things um, with some creme fraiche, capers, uh, shallots. Um, quite often, um, people serve smoked salmon with uh, a slice of lemon. And we, we make a point of saying you don't, you know, good smoked salmon does not need lemon squeezed all over it uh, to, to, to enjoy it. And indeed, there have been numerous times when, you know, I, I'll go to a restaurant, you look at the table next to you and people, you know, the smoked salmon arrives and before anyone even tastes it, they just get that lemon and squeeze it all over and, you know, and so on. And you know, it's not surprising they do that because, you know, if, if the smoked salmon is really sort of slimy and oily, you, you need the lemon to cut through that. But if it's really good quality smoked salmon, that's not necessary at all. And, and it is smoked salmon is just one of those delicious foods that can be in, you know, enjoyed at any time of day fantastic in the morning breakfast with scrambled eggs it's great for lunch with a you know bagel and some cream cheese you know you can have it for fine dining just a plate of smoked salmon and a nice glass of wine late at night it's just one of those it's just delicious it's versatile and indeed very healthy too a really really healthy food to eat too all those omega-3s um i I only discovered myself this year you know people are talking about the importance of vitamin d as a you know for your immune system that 85 grams of smoked salmon gives you 97 percent of your daily requirement for vitamin d so really healthy food too and in in so many i mean not just the vitamin d in so many different ways so you know it's just one of those great foods i highly recommend it particularly foremans of course particularly the job of operating a family-owned company is often grievously complicated by friction arriving from the rivalries involving a father and his son brothers or other family members who hold positions in the business or at least derive income from it For an artisan food business, transposing the passion and dedication can require some special intergenerational care. We are a family business. Uh, We're now in the fourth generation. Uh, People often say that family businesses self-destruct in the third generation, so we're not quite sure what happens now, whether the the, the decline continues or the cycle restarts. I, I have three uh, three children. My my eldest is uh, will be thirty next year, and um, and indeed he and his wife are both vegan. Um, so that's not very good. Uh, <laughs> it's good for them. Um, it was quite funny actually because they they were married a, a couple of years ago, and they insisted that all the food at the wedding was vegan food, and they refused to have any smoked salmon at the uh, the wedding. And uh, of course, the the, the big joke. Um, by all the guests was that uh, you know there's there's no smoked salmon at the wedding, but they were very happy to have the wedding funded by 
smoked salmon uh, <laughs> but, uh, but that but that's uh, that's that one and then my my, my second son has uh, launched his own uh, sort of media channels and they're going rather well but my my daughter is at college in uh, in new york and uh, who knows who knows what will happen you know i i'm still enjoying every day that uh, that I'm involved in the business. I, I was 32 before I decided to join our, our family business. I don't really want to put pressure on my kids. And in fact, my, my wife and I decided very early on that we shouldn't put pressure on them to join the family business. And we kept saying to them, don't even think about it. You've got to have your own careers. You've got to you know, drive your own ambitions and so on. And uh, we, we thought that like most kids, you know, one of them might rebel, but none of, they've all taken this seriously. So I just don't, don't, know, uh, don't know where the future lies, but we'll see. We'll see. Working in the premium food business leads for a complex and fragile life. Operators working in artisan food production are typically a special breed, driven by excellence, pride and passion. You know, the food industry is a really, you know, it's a really interesting place to be. And uh, b before I joined our family business, I was doing, you know, I was a chartered accountant for six years. I was doing consultancy work in Eastern Europe. I was a political advisor. And, and in all of those roles, you're, you're sort of shuffling paper around and advising other people and so on. And the one great thing about being in manufacturing, and particularly, of course, smoked salmon, is that, you know, you can really, you know, you can take immense pride in the product you can produce. You know, you've added value, you've created something you can say you know i have made this and you know have that association and there's something i just don't know what it is there's just something very rewarding and you know i meet people socially and you know there's i think they're so refreshed that i'm just not a lawyer or a banker or an estate agent or you know, like actually you know when you say you know i smoke salmon everyone wants to talk about it you know everyone's interested and everyone has a view on smoked salmon and uh it's you know it's it's it is an interesting place to be and the food industry as i say is a really exciting place it's become quite political in recent years but everyone has a view on it because everybody eats it and uh and and, and certainly over here in the uk over the last 20 to 30 years there's certainly been much more interested in interest in food provenance you know how food is produced where it's produced people concerned about sort of health issues environmental issues um um, and, um, you know, that, 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 that I, I wouldn't say that really existed so much 20 to 30 years ago. So us telling our story, um, you know, about the heritage, I, you know, I, you know, you know that people are interested in it. And, and indeed, we do tours of our smokehouse here in the last year or so. We've been doing virtual tours and people are fascinated. You know, they, they really are interested. And, and when people do come here and they look through, you know, we have this viewing gallery into the smokehouse so people can see all those skills and people working with their hands. They are amazed. You know, they stand there with their sort of tongues hanging out because everyone seems to think nowadays working means sitting behind a desk on a computer screen and actually watching people making things is uh, you know it's a wonderful thing to do with many in the food production world constantly chasing commoditization under the belief that this is the only route to success it is inspirational to find a multi-generational business for whom tradition quality and excellence remain the driving force of the daily operations This is Fishtails, a seafood podcast. A Deep in the Weeds production, I'm John Sussman. Follow us on Instagram at Fishtails Seafood Podcast or email us at fishtailspodcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay tuned for more tales from beneath the surface of the seafood world every Friday on your podcast app.